Welcome to the Ozone. Hello and welcome to the Ozone. I'm your host, Jeff Hazard, Assistant Director of Athletics and Sports Information Director here at SUNY Oneonta. And I have a very special guest today, uh, someone that we would consider they would use the word legend in Oneonta. Uh, it's my uh, happy to introduce Farouk Qureshi. Welcome to the show, Farouk. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, so uh, I know we use that word legend, but actually I think the better word is maybe ambassador. And when we say that, it's the, for the game of soccer. And you really have been an ambassador for soccer. Um, and so I just want to kind of give everybody just a little bit of background on you, and then we can just talk about your life in soccer. Is that, is that okay? Sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, so Farouk, you played with us uh, from 1972 to 74. Uh, we played in the national championship game in 1972, uh, the first time we had ever gone that far in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you won the Herman Trophy Award, which is the equivalent to the Heisman Trophy uh, for Division I men's soccer, which is the player of the year. Uh, you were the number one draft pick for the North American Soccer League. Uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies, uh, you were their MVP. Uh, you know, you had so much success in professional soccer. And then your life went all the way back to the Tampa Bay Rowdies uh, in kind of the newer version of the Na uh, North American Soccer League. So you've been at all levels. Uh, you've impacted so many people and so many lives in the game of soccer. So let's start with Oneonta, how you got here, and then we'll get to that final piece of, of where you've been now. Sure. Well, there's some dispute as to how I got to Oneonta, Jeff, because uh, two people claim credit, and both are, are, are really correct. Uh, one is Joe Howarth, who was the captain of Oneonta State. Yep. You may remember Joe, uh, who's a dear friend from my hometown in Slough, England. And the other is Francisco Marcos, who was the J, uh, JV coach yep. for, uh, for Suco, but was really you know, a graduate of Hartwick College. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Francisco used to have um, a company that arranged sports tours of, the, uh, of Europe. And he used to bring teams from the United States over to play uh, soccer primarily uh, throughout Europe. And when he'd bring teams to England, I would play as a guest player for his teams. And, um, you know, Joe Howarth and Davy North, yeah. who had come to the United States in... 1969 uh, with their boys club uh, team to play throughout New England. They happened to play in Oneonta and Coach Stam asked if they would like to come back to, to study and, and play for Suco. So they, they of course said yes. So they both came over in 1970. And then Joe told Coach about me, you know, at that time Francisco also um, recruit, recruited me. So I I, my kids always tell me, don't, don't tell this story to anybody because it makes you look kind of stupid. At the same time as I got the offer to come to Oneonta State, I had a, an offer to go to um, uh, Dartmouth College on a full ride. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I was weighing my options, and Joe Howarth happened to come home, and he said to me, Fruk, he said, uh, why haven't you made a decision? I said, well, I, I'm, I'm really weighing it up and he said well let's let me put it very simply he said they're recruiting you for to play soccer they're not recruiting you for your brains <laughs> and he said and we have a much better team than than Dartmouth so just come to Oneonta so I ended up coming to Oneonta and I 
I didn't regret it. It was, it was a fantastic decision on my part. Well, I could certainly agree that we probably were better than Dartmouth because when you look at the people that w the players that we had in that era, I mean, everyone. I mean, we've got quite a few Hall of Famers, you know, Joe included, and Dave, you know, North. I mean, these are guys that could have probably played anywhere, and we're so happy that they came to Oneontic because we know that they they love this place and they they talk about it, and it, it's such a joy. You know, obviously, I was not here at that time, but just being able to meet you guys when you came back when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame, you could tell, you know, it was special. You know, it was a special time. So maybe talk about that, you know, and some of those guys and some of the teams. And Well, you're, you're right, Jeff. It was, it was a special time, but it was also a very special team. And, you know, our coaches, uh, Garth Stam and Corky Lynch, his assistant coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spider Bailey was the athletic trainer. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was really a magical time. And, uh, you know, for me, it was especially... Um, you know, very, very liberating to come not only to the United States, but to Oneonta in particular, because, you know, I, I spent my childhood, seven years of my childhood in a, uh, living in a children's home, you know, and uh, then, you know, when I had the opportunity to come to the United States, it was a very liberating time in my life and gave me true independence. And being able to play soccer and also study right. was you know, and get a degree was very, uh, it was exciting for me. So, um, you know, I had no real responsibilities other than attend school and train and, and, and play and play soccer. Now, was, so uh, was soccer the sport? I mean, was that the sport that you were kind of took an affinity to or, or did you yes. just happen to find it? No, Jeff, you know, I was born in Iran, but I grew up in the UK. I went to the UK when I was five years old. And just, I started playing soccer in, in the UK. And for me, really, looking back, you know, after a lot of counseling throughout my life, you know, I, I, I understand now that I really played soccer as an escape from, you know, living, you know, separated from my right. parents and it, it, was something that I just did because it just gave me, it was, it was just a fantastic escape for me. I didn't have to deal with the here and now. I could just lose myself in games. Right. And so soccer took on uh, a function in my life that was way beyond what, what really the importance of the game should be, you know, right. to a young, a young child. And it, it opened a lot of doors for me, including, you know, allowing me to come to the United States uh, you know, get a degree, you know, play in an environment that was just really magical and then go on to have a professional career and then post my playing career, you know, work in fields that were related to, to my passion, which is, you know, the game of soccer. And that really, you know, as we get into this a little bit more, that's really kind of where I'm going with this because it, soccer has been your life. I mean, you've done so much in in and around soccer um, that, uh, I mean, a lot of people have a hard time finding their passion, you know, and it seems like, you know, even from that time when you were here as a student, uh, you know, you could see that this is kind of where, you, you know, where you would, where you might end up being, but so how did playing the game here uh, fuel that passion even more? Well, you know, when I was, while I was playing at Oneonta, 
I was also doing a lot of odd jobs and, and, and coaching in the youth leagues downtown. Yeah. So I got into the, you know, into the service end of the game, if you will, working as a coach. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Coach Stam used to have summer camps and we used to help him with the summer camps as well. Um, but, you know, when it came time for me to uh, leave Oneonta, you know, Francisco Marcus by this time had, had been appointed the uh, director of public relations for the Tampa Bay Routers. The Routers oh, okay. were an expansion team in yeah. 1975. Okay. And he was responsible for the draft. Yeah. And he obviously knew of me because he'd helped recruit me to Oneonta State and had been very instrumental throughout my career. I'd played for Francisco's um, team, Oneonta United, uh, when I was ineligible to play my first year Oneonta, you know, I had a very serious accident on a, on a bicycle and I hadn't taken my SAT. So I, I was essentially was redshirted my, my freshman year and then only ended up playing three years, although I could have stayed an extra year. Right. But after winning the, the Herman, yeah. there was really no point, right. you know, from a professional standpoint in right. doing that. Right. Uh, so he knew about my work with the youth teams in the area. And so when I was drafted by the Routers, it was with the understanding I would be a full-time player, but also work as a full-time member of the front office as a director of youth development. Wow. So when I came to Tampa, there were no youth soccer leagues to speak of. So we essentially had to start the leagues from scratch. And, you know, that was what I did. When, when I would go to training, I trained the same as every other player. But when, you know, in preseason, we would train maybe two times a day or sometimes three times a day. But then when you get into the season, you train once a day and it's a maximum of 90 minutes to two hours. So we would go in at nine, we finished by 1130. The, the players would shower and go to the apartment complex, sit by the pool or just you know, watch TV. I would shower and go to the office and I'd be arranging soccer clinics, coaching clinics, referee clinics, public appearances for the players, you know, all the things that you do to promote the club right. in, within the community. Right. So now, of course, yeah, of yeah. course, now Francisco went on to, uh, you know, pretty much establish, I mean, he created the United Soccer Leagues, right, which is a, a chain of just soccer across the United States. And I, I guess my question is, is are you, because, of course, it, it's taken soccer a bit longer to catch on here in the United States, uh, but... Do you feel like a lot of the work that's been done, uh, you know, it has paid off? I mean, do you, are you satisfied where soccer is in the United States today? I think, I think the soccer is on, on the right track. Uh, you know, you look at the success of the United Soccer Leagues. You look at the um, success of Major League Soccer. Um, you know, we've hosted the World Cup in 94, and we'll talk about, about that. And really, the World Cup in 94 was the springboard for the, um, the launch of Major League Soccer and, the, and, and subsequently, you know, us now hosting the 2026 World Cup. Right. So uh, I, I feel that soccer is in a very good place in this country. Professional soccer is in a very good place in this country. Youth soccer obviously has exploded. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is a feeder system for kids to, to, you know, to really follow their dreams. And if they want to play professional soccer there's a there's a path to doing that right. and that, that that wasn't always the case right um so 
I mean, so, you, you know, you said your involvement with uh, World Cup soccer. Now, of course, the commissioner of MLS is also a graduate of Oneana. I mean, the whole connection, right? I mean, let's talk a little bit about the connection in Oneana, because at one time, you know, Oneana and Hartwork were both in Division One. You, The rivalry was amazing. I mean, you guys used to really, you know, clash and have some great matches. Um, so, and of course, they went on to win a national championship a few years later after you had graduated, I believe, in 77. Um, so, I mean, and the Soccer Hall of Fame, the first Soccer Hall of Fame was in Oneana. I mean, why, why do you think Oneana became the center of the soccer universe in the United States? Well, I, th I think there's a num number of things. You know, I, I, obviously, the Hartwick had a very strong program. They put a, a great deal of, uh, of money, you know, resources behind their program. Uh, Oneana State had a you know, an excellent program as well. Uh, I think we could have been prominent for more years than we were starting before 1972 uh, if we weren't committed to playing in the uh, SUNY conference. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the, the way the rating system worked in college soccer, uh, I'm not sure if it still works that way today, but, you know, we were we were based we were judged on the strength of our schedule yeah and while we would play all the sunyak teams you know and beat teams nine nothing sometimes 15 nothing you know you didn't get any credit for how good your team was because they looked at the strength of the opponent yeah. but we knew that if we played tough teams like hartwick um and 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 teams uh, uh, like Hartwick, you know, Howard University, yeah. we could more than hold our own. And we proved that the first time we ever gone into the tournament when we beat Hartwick 3-0 yeah. <laughs> on, on, on the Mashley field. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to coach Stan's credit, you know, he was able to recruit some outstanding players. And he was really helped by the fact that, you know, we had the international program that enabled him to uh, bring players in and give them tuition waivers right. through the international program. And so in, in my first year, we had, I think we had players from 14 different countries wow. on that, on that squad. It was, it really was like the United Nations, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there was, then, it, it, you know, success begets success. Yeah. And so people wanted to come and play because they, and knew of, of the, our reputation. Um, yeah, plus it's a, the environment is just outstanding. You know, you, you're almost living in a bubble in, in Oneonta. Right. You know, and, you know, you've got the wonderful seasons. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quaint campus. Right. And it's just, you know, it was just a, a wonderful place to, to spend. Right. Now, you know, now, of course, that field uh, that you played on, um, actually went in the other direction. When I got here, they moved it and, and put it in the other direction. Um, right. People accuse us of having a too small of a field and with an advantage. I don't know if that's true or not, but people say that our field was a little short and it helped us a lot. When we, when we were playing yeah. there? <laughs> well, listen, players typically, you know, skillful players do not want to play on small fields right they want to play on big fields right because i think a small field tends to be an equalizer so if you're and we played army when in the in the postseason in yeah. 72 yeah and let me tell you when you play an army or even a courtland 
and not to take anything away from Cortland because they were really our bogey team. You know, they would they would really play well against us. Right. But technically, they 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 weren't as good as we were. Right. But you know, physically, they were very very good. It was a phys ed school, so a small field allows you to defend a lot oh, okay. easier than yep. a big field. A big field, you know, you have, there's much more space to exploit. Right. And good players are going to be able to tactically just destroy weak opponents. Right. So, now, and I think that's kind of because, of course, the field we play on now is is really the large. You know, it's it's the largest you yes. can play on by regulations. And I'm, I know you watch Ian's team play, uh, and of course, we love the way Ian plays. And and you know, we had him on the show, and he says, "Well, that's the way the game is played." It's That's moving right. the ball and possessing and not, you know, and, and using space and letting people, you know, use their technical ability. Um, so I'm sure that you love watching Ian's teams uh, play. Ian, Ian's an excellent coach, you know. I mean, and I think it comes from the, the kind of person he is. You know, when I look at coaches, I don't look at them just for their uh, tactical knowledge, you know, their technical expertise. I look at how they deal with players, you know, right. and, and whether or not they are able to use psychology, you know, how they relate to their players, how they um, scout opponents and how they are as, as human beings. And I, I know that might not be, be normal, but right. for me, you know, that's, that's what really set Garth Stam apart as well. Right. And I think Ian is in the mold of, of Coach Stam in that, you know, he's, he really cares about his players. Yeah. And uh, but he also not understands the game very, very well and is able to do do a lot with what I would say are probably limited resources. Right. You know, it's let me tell you, if you're a Maryland or a Clemson, you know, uh, a UVA, yeah. uh, you know, Wake Forest, there's those schools have some incredible resources. And that's why they're able to really attract Right. You know, the ACC is able to attract the top players, if you will. Right. You know, right. it's a lot more difficult when you're at a small school playing in Division Three with without scholarships. Right. And I think that's a true measure of of, of a good coach. You know, right. can you get results with players that you recruit for their academic abilities as well as their soccer right. ability? And he certainly has uh, maximized uh, both those uh, areas and. And uh, I know he always loves uh, talking to the alumni of the program, you know, and he appreciates you guys texting and calling, uh, you know, when the team is, is doing well. And, and certainly, uh, you know, we do as well. Uh, you know, that just shows it, how much you love the program and, and how much, you know, you say the connection between Garth to Ian, you know, that time uh, really uh, has been great for the college and great for the the soccer program so you sure. know we always say thank you to you guys all the time we can so um and we don't we get... really, jeff we feel the love believe me okay great and and ian has been fantastic about continuing continuing coaches right. legacy if you will in in the way in which he outreaches to former players right. uh, I, and and there is a real bond between the players i can tell you you know when we came back up for coaches service you know right. seeing uh, players like Ronan Downs, you know, uh, Herbie Betancourt, you know, yep. they're, they're just, it was wonderful. And I got called from Outie McKenzie oh, after wow. the fact, and he was planning to come up from Jamaica with yep. Desmond Monroe for the, um, you know, for the reunion. Yep. And, and 
another service for coach, you know, uh, to to memorialize him. So it was a a lot of players felt very very strongly about coach, and were very very sad, obviously, to hear about his passing. Right. Um, you know, I I was very fortunate because I I live in Tampa and he was living in in Jacksonville. I was able to go visit him uh, just prior to his his passing, and I was so. I was so glad that I did, you know, it, it just reinforced me, you know, just what a special, special man he was. Right. And I was going to, um, uh, I just, you know, I wanted to ask you about Garth cause I know that you were able to, to see him, uh, you know, in that last few weeks or whatever, and be able to be with him. And, and, um, I mean, you know, his influence on you and, and how much you've taken that with you into the game of, of soccer. Yeah, I I spoke to him about this, um, Jeff. You know, um, you you think about Coach Stam. You know, you see a man who was what six foot ten. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he didn't look like a soccer a soccer right. coach. He looked like a basketball coach. You know. Yeah. But the the thing that struck me about Coach, and that really stayed has stayed with me throughout my life, is that he was a he was a man who was genuinely interested in the well being of his players not because of what they could do for him as a coach on the field, but because he had a genuine interest in their, in their well-being as human beings. Right. You know, I, can t I couldn't tell you the number of times that we would be sitting around his table with he and Gene and all the kids, you know, for a Thanksgiving meal or just a Sunday evening dinner. And he knew that, you know, we didn't always have, uh, you know, the wherewithal to, to buy food. Right. And so his his door was always open you know and he was he was really a gentle giant and yeah. um you know it, it when i think back on his influence on my on my life you know i really think you know there were coaches i played for that were certainly more steeped in the game from the the, the experience from their experiences right. you know at, at the professional level if you will but there was none that was more um, more caring, you know, uh, more humble than than he was. I mean, he truly cared about us as human beings, and he communicated that in everything that he did. Right. And I, I don't think there's some, anything you could say that's more meaningful than than that. You right. know. Right. And I think that's really the true mark of a coach, of a of a great coach, that. You know, again, like you said, I mean, a coach is a teacher. We all know that Garth was a great teacher, but he also, like you said, cared enough about his players to make sure that they were okay and that they would, because yes. there's a life after graduation, and, and what is it, you know? That's right. That's uh, right. So uh, as we look back on some of, um, some of the highlights from your professional career, now you've you know, like, again, you've been involved in MLS, you've been involved in the you know, North American Soccer League as a president, GM, you've, you've been at those kind of levels, you've been down at the lower levels, you know, you said, like, just those youth soccer uh, situations and promoting the game and um, your involvement with uh, the World Cup, like, because you were in Orlando at the time, right? Well, I was actually living in Tampa, Jeff, and oh, okay. when the when the U.S. was bidding to host the 94 World Cup, um, you know, that decision was made six years before okay. the World Cup was played. Right. Okay. And um, I was part of the Tampa Bay bid committee. 
okay. you know, cities around the United States yeah. formed what they call bid committees yeah. to try and get their cities to be named host venues, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was very active with the Tampa Bay Bid Committee. And at that time, I was working for the local McDonald's franchisee, okay, in uh, community relations PR and working on this, um, on this committee. Well, we didn't, we weren't selected as one of the nine cities, but Orlando was. Okay. So I got a call uh, from Dick Cecil, who, you know, used to be with the Atlanta Chiefs and had uh, been uh, the Atlanta baseball team, the Braves, um, you know, in, in executive management. And he was working with our, with the World Cup. And he said, would you be interested in going to Orlando and running the World Cup in Orlando? I said, yeah, I'd be very interested. <laughs> so um, I, I had an interview. They hired me. And partly, you know, it's because of my soccer background, but also my business experience yeah. working for McDonald's. I've been with McDonald's uh, almost 11 years yeah. at that time after my soccer career finished. So um, I... I moved to, I, I worked in Orlando for two years, you know, 92 through the end of the World Cup in 94. And my family stayed in, in Tampa. So the first year I was commuting every day. It was yeah. like a two, hour, two hours each way. Yeah. And then the second year, I just stayed in Orlando, lived in a hotel room and, you know, oversaw the, the venue. And that was probably the best job that I, I ever had, you know, in terms of, how gratifying it was to work, you know, on a World Cup because it's the pinnacle of soccer, right? You know, and um, had a, had just had a blast with it. And then, of course, MLS, uh, you know, was founded uh, on on the hills of the World Cup as a precondition of the U.S. hosting the World Cup. You know, we had to make a commitment. U.S. soccer uh, had to make a commitment that they would start a Division One professional league after World Cup. It was supposed to start in 95, but it was delayed a year in order for us to really organize. And so it kicked off in 96. Right. So, um, so you yeah. really have been on the, I mean, you've been on the edge of a lot of stuff that's happened in the world of soccer. I mean, it, it just seems like you've, you've been able to find your way uh, into these roles that have allowed you to, like you said, your, your passion. Exactly. You know, and uh, we, my wife and I do a lot of mentoring, Jeff, and you know we we've given a lot of career advice to young kids. You know she uh, she does way more of it than I do. But whenever I t we talk to to young people, we always say when we give them career advice, you know, do something that you love. You know, don't don't take a job for the money. Take a job because it's something that you would lo you love doing. So it doesn't seem like work, and the money. Would typically follow right you know but life is too short in our opinion right. to be you know sitting behind a desk from nine to five or wh whatever it is you know doing a job that isn't meaningful to you right. and so you know it hasn't seemed like work to me because it's something that i i care deeply about it's given me opportunities to travel all over the world you know to meet people from all walks of life you know to be in involved with young people because you know, it keeps, we feel that it keeps us young. Right. And, you know, to see the game that I love grow from, uh, you know, what was very in its infancy in, in the seventies, right. you know, to go the league folded in 84 and then 
was resurrected as a Division One league when Major League Soccer came along. But in the meantime, the USL had been, you know, keeping professional soccer alive at the lower levels right. for all that time. And, you know, Francisco deserves a lot of credit for that. I mean, he, he truly is a visionary. And I always tell people he's forgotten more about soccer than most people will know in a lifetime. Right, right. Well, we certainly, um, again, we just want to certainly thank you for your, for your passion in this game. And, and certainly we, we thank you for, for, you know, cheering on Oneana and, and, and telling people how great this institution was and what it's done for you. And, and I, I know that you're a busy guy, and I'm glad that you took the time to spend with us today. And, um, you know, I, I, to me, it's, we don't get to see you enough. And in this world with the pandemic, you know, it's great to be able to put you on a video monitor and kind of just have a little conversation and just talk about, you know, talk about your, your life and, and how well you've done and, and you look great. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I love, I can't say enough about On the State and the impact it had on my life. Yeah. It really, for me, it, it opened so many doors and I made so many friends, uh, you know, among the faculty staff, coaches, yeah. uh, you know, lifelong friends and my, obviously my teammates. Right. I, I'm in touch with, all, you know, pretty much everybody that we, yeah. we played with. And yeah. that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get you out of here, we're going to ask you a couple of questions, and I want you to just give me the first thing that pops into your, pops into your mind. Uh, we're doing this with all of our guests on the show. Uh, so what's your favorite meal? Jeff, that's really hard. I like so many different kinds of food, but if I really had to choose one, I'd probably say Italian. Okay. Uh, good choice. Good choice. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Again, very, very difficult because my wife and I are avid moviegoers, okay. or we were before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think among my favorite movies, I would say Cafe Paradiso, okay. uh, Schindler's List. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, the Color Purple. Oh, so, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite genre of music? You know, I love, I love classical, and I also like jazz. Okay. Okay. Uh, your favorite athlete all time? Oh, that's, that's pretty easy. It'd have to be Pele. Um, and, you know, I didn't get it in here, but now we will. You actually played against Pele, in, and we have a photo to prove it, when you were in the North American Soccer League. That must have been incredible. It was. It was. And he's a, truly a, a giant in the sport. Well, that's what I mean. And, and, and like you say, someone who's an ambassador wasn't so big where he didn't spend time to you know what I mean, just to, to, to share that passion about soccer. Jeff, quick, quick aside, and I know you have okay. to go, but Pelé just celebrated his 80th birthday. Wow. And my, the number one nonprofit that I work with right now and have, I'm the long-serving board member at the current time is an organization called Love.Football, F-U-T-B-O-L. And we build soccer spaces in the most impoverished communities around the world. But we, we have an interesting business model because we actually uh, recruit the local community to, to give us their sweat equity so that they ha they're invested in the facility once we, yeah. we leave. And we built these in the barrio, you know, in the favelas in Brazil, in Mexico City, in some of the most impoverished 
places you can imagine. And these places become the focal point in the community. Right. And Pelé, for his 80th birthday, is, is working with us oh, geez. To, to work with 15 of, of our uh, fields in Brazil. Wow. Because, because with the pandemic, we now are providing uh, COVID relief to families in there and feeding families wow. that live in those communities. So it goes so far beyond soccer. But that's just yeah. you know, an example of how lives intersect from sport yeah. you know and this many years later wow that's incredible sorry give me what's the and the last question is is the place you would most like to visit shoot jeff let me say on the answer no yeah. uh, <laughs> jeff you know i told you before you know my wife and i've been so fortunate that we've been able to travel yeah. and when we were younger when we first met we made a point of agreeing to travel as much as we could as as, and as early in our lives as we could because we didn't want to get to a point where we'd be, have the ability to travel but not have the inclination because of poor health or, yeah. or, or other, you know, for example, the pandemic. Yeah. So we've always traveled. So there are so many places that we've been. That, that, no, right what was now, your favorite the, place? Again, Jeff, there oh, are so <laughs> many places. You know, I would tell you this. Vietnam was, was a favorite. Wow. I've spent a lot of time in Norway. Uh, we love uh, we love the uh, Asia, you know, Thailand and Vietnam were two of our favorite places. We loved Morocco. Wow. We loved Egypt. So, you know, we've my one one place I have not been, but I want to go is Israel. So that's on my okay. bucket list. All right. OK, well, but um, but no, I could give you so many yeah. places that I love for <laughs> so many different reasons. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, we certainly hope you get there and, we, and you can complete your bucket list. And uh, again, we just want to thank you for coming on the show today, Farouk. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. It's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for doing this. Okay. And uh, please say hello to everybody. I will. In Onyad for me. I will. And big I will. shout out to yep. my Take former care. teammates. All right. Thanks, Cheers. Jeff. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, and we'd like to thank you for joining us this week on the show. Uh, just a reminder, you can catch our show on our YouTube channel, and also it's available for download as a podcast on many of the favorite podcast sites uh, that are free. And uh, just don't forget to uh, follow us also on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Red Dragon Sports, and you can find us on the web at www.oneontoathletics.com. So until next time, thanks for joining us in the Ozone.